This is Nemeth Asetnota for NHAM Catalyst. I am speaking today with Dr. Priya Sampath Kumar, consultant in the Division of Infectious Diseases in the Department of Internal Medicine and Associate Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine in Rochester, Minnesota. She leads infection prevention and control for the Mayo Clinic Enterprise and plays a key role in the current response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we will be talking about the novel coronavirus. However, our objectives for this conversation are different. This is an opportunity to discuss innovations in care delivery, the very mission of NEJM Catalyst in a unique and defining moment, a moment where there is a rapidly evolving pandemic and where quick, decisive, and thoughtful decisions matter where collaboration and coordination across every part of our healthcare landscape, and quite frankly, beyond the healthcare sector, is critical. Dr. Sampath Kumar and I will talk about generalizable themes and learnings from Mayo's expertise in scaling a coordinated and comprehensive plan during emergency situations and use COVID-19 as a real-time example. The goal will be to have you, our audience of healthcare executives, clinical leaders, and clinicians, leave with some enduring insights and lessons that you can apply not only to COVID-19, but also to your care redesign efforts long after we collectively have, have successfully addressed this current pandemic. Priya, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's start by setting some context. Mayo has deep expertise and a very comprehensive approach to effectively achieve common standards of care across many of its hospitals and care settings. What are some of the basic building blocks and guiding principles that allow you to do this under usual circumstances? And how are they similar and how are they different when responding to a rapidly evolving health issue like the current pandemic? I'm really fortunate to work in an institution that takes patient safety seriously all the time. Uh, we're very committed to making sure that we have processes in place to deal with routine operations. And we have also uh, the ability to react in a fairly agile manner to new and emerging crises that are not uncommon in healthcare. So in the normal um, routine operations, we generally have consensus-based approach to writing policies, writing procedures. We spend days, months, weeks deliberating over every line and every document that we produce. Um, we make sure we engage key stakeholders. We get everybody's input, make sure that everything that we put out is operational and can uh, and makes sense to the frontline providers. And simultaneously, we also have the ability to uh, put all our committee structure aside and uh, have key stakeholders in smaller numbers participate in uh, making quick decisions when we need to. So, and we're able to make that switch from the slow, deliberate way of approaching things to our quick response system. We, we make that transition really well. And um, the key to that is really our, our leadership at the institutional level, uh, when there's a crisis, trust the content experts to be the leaders versus wanting everything run, run up through um, leadership. So that trust that the institution has in 
the content experts, whether it's infectious disease emergency or an emergency from a break in the water main, et cetera, is what makes us uh, able to respond quickly and well to new things. The trust has to go uh, both ways. So we trust our frontline staff to do what they need to do, to, and we empower them to speak up when leadership makes decisions that don't work for frontline staff. Um, we try to set context and give them background whenever it's possible for decisions that are being made. And then similarly, frontline staff trust that decisions, especially around sensitive things like emerging infections, where there's lots of media attention, lots of misinformation about transmission dynamics and how infectious somebody might be, the, the impact of uh, getting an infection in the workplace, etc. Frontline staff have to trust you and the message that you're giving them about the personal protective equipment you're providing, about uh, everything else um, that is involved in providing patient care. And that is a particularly important point that you raised because things are changing so fast and there are so many unknowns. There is a lot of different information out there and information out in the public media that may differ from the guidelines and clinical recommendations that you are making at Mayo as, as an organization. And uh, I appreciate your point about the importance of uh, trusting the, the information from your organization and that it's, it's, it's coming, again, with experts making the best possible decisions with the information they, they have at the time. Let's talk a little bit specifically about COVID-19 and, and what your organization, what Mayo is doing around addressing uh, the, the pandemic, both in terms of internal operations, and here I want us to talk about the entire care continuum, inpatient, outpatient, and non-acute, as well as how you are working as an organization in terms of collaborating with external partners, uh, whether it be public health departments, community-based organizations, uh, providers outside of the, the Mayo system. So as you know, Mayo is a fairly large organization. We have three major medical centers in Arizona, Florida, and uh, Rochester, Minnesota. We also have multiple satellite hospitals as part of our health system, primarily up in the Midwest. And so we all have um, different levels of equity of our patients. We have different um, uh, staffing levels. We have a lot of differences. The one thing uh, we have been working on for the last several years, actually, is uh, what we call convergence, trying to identify basic best practices that are generalizable to the entire institution and then calling out specific site-specific differences and making sure we identify why those, uh, why those differences exist. You can't be, it is impossible to do the same thing at every different uh, hospital across this large system. And I think as more and more systems integrate, this is something that everybody is learning to deal with. With specifically with COVID-19, this, this was something that primarily is an infection control issue. We knew that we will eventually encounter patients with, uh, with COVID-19 and um, that they could happen at any one of our sites and that we all need to be prepared with certain basic 
principles of how we're going to approach the situation. So very early on, probably around the second week of January, we started meeting in a very large group to talk about uh, the tasks that needed to happen with COVID-19, what we had in our existing policies and procedures that could be taken and customized to this epidemic. And those were high-level meetings with quality leaders, uh, practice leaders, the hospital incident command structure leaders, and uh, infection control. As things started ramping up and uh, the threat of us having actual cases became much more imminent, we did two things. One was our hikes structure was activated and they took on uh, some tasks. But because again, this was so specific to infection control, we instituted daily phone calls where every infection preventionist in our system and every infection uh, control physician called in. Um, They were 15 minute phone calls, but we all um, collaborated on these phone calls to uh, talk about our issues. They were not structured meetings. They did not have an agenda. It was a brief 15 minute sharing session where we talked about issues and then assigned tasks out. So if one, if you know, with the collective wisdom of the group, many of the questions that were brought up um, could be answered right there on the 15-minute phone call versus having, you know, emails with 40 people on it uh, circulating. Mm -hmm. And then if there were bigger issues that the group could not answer right away, they were things that we put on a task list that was placed on our web that was visible to all of us and reminders about timelines and who's responsible and what kind of timeline we had for getting that accomplished. And those 15-minute phone calls were extremely productive. It saved us a lot of time and rework and made sure that we all stayed on the same page. We required that at least one person from each of our institutions participated, but it was because it was 15 minutes, it was almost every single person who was working that day calling in. And uh, frankly, we had never done that before. I think with every future emergency, that's what we're going to do. So that was something that worked really well for us, and we have continued that. So we meet every day for 15 minutes every working day and um, we're getting a lot accomplished through that. Give us Um, some examples of topics that you resolve during these these huddles. So these huddles, um, and that's exactly the word I was looking for, these huddles, things that we talked about was big picture things. So the CDC's website was updated, and because there's been so much information coming out, you know, one person might have caught this one line in the recommendations that has a big impact on infection control that the rest of us missed. So it would be, has anyone noticed anything new uh, in the public health recommendations? That was one thing. Uh, The other sorts of things that were brought up was Minnesota Department of Health. So because we're across state lines, comparing the information provided by each of our state health departments and then if they conflicted you know one of the physicians would call the health department in question that seemed to be an outlier and try to figure out why 
the advice was so divergent and usually it was an error and they a phone call and a conversation with public health fixed it those were the big things the other things we learned was smaller things like this institution has just run out of something um like um specific equipment or this hospital is being renovated and so will be down 40 rooms and so the others in the region were made aware of that in real time versus waiting for some leadership memo that you know would get lost in your inbox so those were some examples of things that people brought up and then we also decided that we would create a central website that would be the clearing house for all uh, coronavirus related information so there's CDC guidance there's public health guidance and then there is the this is what it means for Mayo so our website was interpretation of the guidelines of the guidance provided by public health translated into Mayo speak and saying this means you ordered this test this means you placed this order in this manner in the um, EMR and um, we created this massive repository of all the information. And the very first thing we did uh, was put the disclaimer on the website that all of this information is accurate at for that moment and that documents printed off would quickly get outdated. So everyone needed to come back to the website and look for it for the latest information and not rely on printed documents. We learned that from um, both the 2009 H1 pandemic and then uh, our, our Ebola preparations, that people should not rely on emails, people should not rely on printed material. The website was the one source of truth. Can you share with us, a, uh, in addition to the, to the lessons you already shared, a success story or a recent win um, from from Mayo as it as it relates to uh, to addressing this uh, this issue. So one of our big wins has been our medical ICU staff. So the medical ICU had an area designated within that unit for what we called our high consequence uh, infectious disease patients. So this would be something like a viral hemorrhagic fever, um, um, such as Ebola, or something else that was high, highly infectious or might have significant consequences in other ways, uh, like media attention, um, other sort of public health importance, uh, anthrax uh, patient or something like that. So we had a core team that was highly trained to adapt to changing recommendations to a very stringent PPE guidance. And with um, COVID, of course, the small uh, number of patients of very high resource utilization model doesn't work. But this core group of people who had trained for this emergency have been our rock stars in quickly taking all the guidance that we put out and being our ambassadors to the hospital at large, telling them, we've got you, we will come out here and tell you how to uh, put on your PPE, how to take off your PPE, we will train you, we will walk you through uh, everything uh, as the situation evolves. So anytime we've needed 
staff, both physicians and nurses, to take the lead in talking to frontline staff in their language, they have been uh, phenomenal. So my takeaway from this conversation is that the key success factors, at least, are trust, effective communication and transparency, and that it's going to take a team, particularly in the example that, that you just highlighted uh, with, the, with the NICU staff. Dr. Sabah Kumar, thank you so much for speaking with NEJ on Catalyst today. You're very welcome.